Well, it's good to be able to be with you tonight. We're grateful for the opportunity. My wife and I uh, enjoy the opportunity to come up and certainly see the Elwerts, and uh, we're thankful for what God's doing in their lives and uh, be back with you again. I guess I was last year for the ordination service uh, we were talking before, so trust that the Lord's at work and you're resting in His grace. Let me invite you, if you would, take your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 this evening. Romans chapter 12. And uh, I, I uh, am grateful. We, uh, in the summertime, shift our services to Tuesday night and have uh, guest speakers in for the summer. So it worked out well that I didn't have to skip church to come and be with you tonight. So I was thankful for that as well. You know, all of us probably have uh, funny stories or remembrances uh, of our families when we were younger. Um, when I was a young, probably like junior high age, maybe upper elementary school, our family used to vacation uh, down in Florida. And back then, uh, there was a professional soccer league that had just started. Some of you may remember in the 70s, Pele came and played. I think it was for the New York Cosmos, and they were, they were trying to get it off the ground. And there was a team in Tampa called the Tampa Bay Rowdies. And so we were on vacation, and we went over to, to the to Tampa to see a game. I played soccer, uh, and so a bunch of our families were there. And and uh, near the end of the game, there was a guy up in the stands who was who was really staggering, like he he was really drunk. And and we kept you know saying something, about it, and my dad kept saying, "Oh, he's faking it. He's faking it." You know, like he was just trying to draw attention to himself. Well, as the guy started walking down the stairs, you know, you're in a big stadium. He started picking up pace because he was he was drunk, and so he started to go faster and faster and faster until he just went head first, boom, flying down the stairs and crashed in. And we all, I mean, we shouldn't have laughed at his calamity, but we all turned to my dad and started going, "Yeah, he's faking it. He's faking it." So for 40 years, you know, when when we're around and somebody seems like to hurt us, we'll immediately turn to my dad and say, "He's faking it. He's faking it." Because it just sort of stuck. But the picture of that guy going down the stands, I mean, I, I can see it. I mean, I can, I can picture it if I close my eyes, the kind of uh, unsteadiness and disequilibrium that this guy was clearly out of control and out of balance. And, and that's a, her- a, tor- a, a terrible thing when it happens to us. I mean, uh, wait, let me make that clear. I hope none of you have that kind of an experience, all right, that that you are uh, drunk and therefore lose your balance. But anytime you lose your, lose your balance, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a kind of helpless thing. I remember being in college once, and, and uh, I was walking to dinner, and I went to school in Greenville, South Carolina, so there usually wasn't a lot of snow, but we'd gotten just a little bit, and I made the mistake of having my hands, both my hands in my overcoat, and I went to step up on the curb, and, and my heel didn't make it up on the curb, so the leather on my sole hit the wet edge of the curb, and, and my foot slid out. Well, I had my hands in my pocket, so I just, I just went boom, 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 boom. I mean, I just you know, bounced there because I lost my balance, and I couldn't control my movement. Being out of balance is a terrible position to be in. It, it's not a good thing physically. It's a horrible thing spiritually. I can say as a pastor, uh, probably... You know the old line about 77% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So um, I can probably say, you know, 84% no, 
a huge, a huge number of the spiritual problems that I encounter and have to do counseling with from God's Word are because people have gotten out of balance. They, they've allowed something to come into their lives which, which has caused their equilibrium to go off. Married couples that, you know, years before, if you'd asked them, will you ever end up in a pastor's office talking about your problems? Did you, would you think your marriage is going to be in real serious trouble? They'd say no. But how did they get there? Over the course of time, they lost their balance. Something, something went out of whack. Or personal struggles, church struggles. When I've had to, uh, and certainly not as much as uh, the kind of stuff you have to deal with inside of a congregation, but when I've had to try to help churches that are torn up by disunity, it's, it's honestly that the whole congregation is, is sort of staggering. They're out of balance. Things that, that shouldn't be knocking them off their feet are knocking them off their feet because they've lost balance. Now, it would be wrong for me to say that there's only one cause of that. But here's, here's what I'd like to do tonight to suggest the, perhaps the major cause of that. The major cause of imbalance in our lives or a lack of balance, is found in the text that I want to draw our attention to. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, if you notice that phrase in the text, to have sound, or some of you may have a translation that has sober judgment. The idea, the idea of that word is the kind of judgment that is balanced. It's, it's on an even keel. It's not out of whack. But, but if you've ever, you know, when we're little kids, you play the game where you spin around and, and, and you're not seeing things correctly and you go to reach for something and you're missing it. Your judgment is unsound. It's not sober. And this text warns that it's possible for us to have judgment that, that is, is drunk, that's, that's lacking sobriety, that's imbalanced and, and out of control. And what's the root of that kind of judgment? Well, look at what the text says. Uh, not to think more highly of himself, than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So here, if I could put it this way, the thing that causes you to be imbalanced, to, to not have sound judgment, is if you actually have a false judgment about yourself. You think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In fact, here's that primary cause. Pride. Pride is usually the culprit for us having unsound judgment, for us being uh, spiritually, relationally, personally staggering. We're, we're like the guy walking down those stairs 
and, and we're starting to pick up speed because we're out of balance and, and we're going to crash. And it's not because we drank something physically, but we were drinking something mentally and spiritually. We, we were getting drunk with our own pride. We, we were becoming intoxicated by elevated views of ourselves. And what this text is saying is that if we really want to live a balanced life, a, a kind of life that has proper judgment, then, then we really have to have a proper view of ourselves in relationship to God. A proper view of ourselves in relationship to God. Now let me just draw from the text where I'm getting the, that kind of language, okay? The word proper... I think you can see it in the words of the text. It says, every one of you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Right? So that would be a way of saying, don't think improperly. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. That is, if you, you, know, if you think you're this, but you're really this, then you don't have a proper view of yourself. You've got a, you've got a distorted view of yourself. And in fact, in contrast to that distorted view, he says, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure. So, so how do we think about ourselves? Do we think properly or do we think improperly? And in fact, I said a proper view of self in relation to God. And where am I getting that from in the text? I think you can see it because verse 3 begins with this idea of grace given to me. But then he says at the end, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So, so let me go back to what I was trying to do with the line, all right? So, so if you think you're here when you're actually here, you're not thinking properly. The way you ought to think about yourself is, in fact, according to what God has allotted to you. That is, God has, in fact, and this text is going to, talk about in a moment, I want to show you that, the context of it is, is that God actually has given you certain gifts to use for Him. He's, he's given you a place and a function and how you're to serve Him. And so you ought to think properly about that. I mean, but if you don't think properly about it, you think more highly of yourself than you ought, then, then you're headed for a fall. You're headed, you're headed for staggering into some trouble. And now let me just show you the context, because I think it's important for us to understand it. Go in the next verse, uh, verses 4 through 6, and, and I think you can see the, the point of what Paul's after here. Verse 4, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality or generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. All right, so let me just draw out a couple points about this. The context of what he's talking about is the context of the body of believers, right? That's why verse 4 says, for as we have many members in one body. So, so to understand what Paul's after in verse 3, he says, here's the way you should think about yourself, not improperly, not 
inflated, but actually as God has allotted to you a certain measure of faith, a place within the body. Because the body of believers is in fact, verse 4, has many parts, and so there's diversity, right? All of us are in one body, but we do not all have the same function. So, I mean, in, in our body of believers in Allen Park, uh, by virtue of God's direction in the congregation's life and in my life, I was called to be the senior pastor, which would mean at least the congregation was recognizing uh, in theory that I have the gift of teaching because the qualification of the pastor says he has to be able to teach. So they were saying uh, back in January of 1989, Dave Doran, we see in you a gift of teaching, and, and we believe you should function in this capacity. And, and if I'm going to have a proper view of myself, I need to see myself in relationship to the gifts that God has given me and recognize that other people have different gifts because we're all one body, but there are various functions, and I shouldn't fight against that. I should recognize I'm just one part of many. And then look what verse 5 says. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Not only is there, are there many parts, so there's diversity, but there's one body, so there must be unity. So at any point, if I think so highly of myself that I have disregard for the other gifts given to the body, then I think too highly of myself, right? If I think about myself that I'm actually more important than the body, then I think too highly of myself. See, I'm just one part amidst many parts, and in fact, I'm one part of a whole. So anytime I become preoccupied with myself and act as if my gift is more important and I'm more important, therefore, than you... I violate verse 4 anytime I think I'm so important, then the unity of the body doesn't matter. I violate verse 5. And then look at verse 6. It says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So why are there different parts in the body? Did we make that up? No, the text is saying God did. If, if, if you looked at a, a companion passage, a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 4, it says when Christ ascended to heaven, He gave gifts to men. That is, the risen Christ wants to rule over His body, and it's His body, so He placed the parts into the body according to His design so that each part will contribute what He wants it to, to do so that the effective functioning of the body is the proper working of each individual part. So if it's by God's grace that I'm a teacher, then, then I need to think about it that way. And if this person, let's just use the things in verses uh, 7 and 8. If this person's gift is service, and, and, and I look down on the person who's doing service, then, then I am thinking too highly of myself and not appreciating the diversity in the body, and my looking down at that person is actually going to be a, a breach in the unity of the body because I'm thinking too highly of myself, 
And the worst part about it is, I'm actually sinning against God. Because why does this person have the gift of service? It's the grace given to him or her by God. So if I don't appreciate the gifts that they have, I don't appreciate God's grace in their lives. And and that kind of imbalance is what leads people to stagger into real problems in the life of the local assembly. And a whole church, if it gets torn up by this disunity and lack of appreciation for diversity and unity and the grace of God in the congregation, a whole church can start tumbling down the stairs. Because God designed the church to be a display of His glory through the diversity of gifts united together seeking to serve God. So so what does it mean in this kind of a context to think too highly of myself? To not appreciate other gifts because I'm preoccupied with myself. To not put the unity of the church ahead of my own personal desires and ambitions. To not appreciate the glory of God in the grace that's been given to Him. Because really what we're talking about here is the difference between pride and humility. And, and pride is when I think about myself in ways that are, are fundamentally wrong. I think I have God-like qualities and privileges, right? I think, I think that I have some kind of creative power to be the person I am. And because I have these gifts, I'm entitled to privileges that are better than the rest of people. That's, that's, I mean, that's ultimately what started really before the Garden of Eden, I think, with, with Satan. He said, I will be like the Most High. He wanted to ascend to a place of rulership instead of being a servant of God. He wasn't content uh, recognizing his limitations both in character and privilege, and he wanted to be in a place of exaltation. And you know what? He passed that right along in the temptation to Adam and Eve, right? If you eat this, you will be like God. And and humanity wanted to be godlike rather than human. Wanted to exalt ourselves. And the temptation of pride is always to, to start to think about myself that I have godlike qualities. I know more than I do. I can do more than than I actually can do. I think I've got omniscience. Not really, but we wouldn't say that. But sometimes we act as if we know everything, right? We act as if we can do anything. We act as if we're in control of everything. And, And there's only one who knows everything, can do everything, is in control of everything. So, So pride exalts ourselves instead of Humility, which would recognize, if I could put it this way, recognize our insignificance, our wickedness, and our weakness. So that we clearly acknowledge God's sovereign authority or position and His gracious provision to us and His infinite power. So let me just sort of step back from that and walk through it. I think... Uh, humility, pride is I, I think of myself in godlike terms of of abilities and privileges. But humility is when I recognize 
that I'm actually insignificant compared to God. He is high and lifted up. I, I'm low. All right? I am a servant, not a master. I'm not, I'm not a king. He is. Okay? And also, not only am I insignificant apart from God, I'm wicked that I actually have chosen to go my own way and rebel against God. God said, Thou shalt. And I said, I shall not. He said, Thou shalt not. And I said, Oh, yes, I shall. And, and that sin flows from the inner part of me, not from the outside. I'm not forced by my environment. I'm not forced by my experience of sin. James says, Every... Man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That is, I see something that I want and I decide to move. And, and unless I see the, the pervasive wickedness of my heart, then I'm proud. If I don't see that I'm a sinner, then, then I'm marked by pride, not humility. And, in fact, my own weakness. That the fact is, as the Scriptures say over and over again, I can't add one minute to my life. I can't add one inch to my height. I, I cannot predict if I'll be here tomorrow. I do not control any of those things. I don't have the power to control those things. Only God can do that. And so I need to see myself as very much unlike God. Now, thankfully, God graciously has given an answer for all these things. My rebellion, my rebellion can be removed by His grace so that, so that I bow the knee to Jesus Christ. The debt of my sin can be removed because Christ paid the penalty for that. I can, by God's grace, have the power that I need to grow in Christ and to encounter all the circumstances that I might face, right? Paul was, Paul was saying, I, I know how to abound and I know how to obey, be abased. That is, I can, I can enjoy comfort, but I also can handle conflict. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is, God can enable him to handle any of those circumstances, but he knows he can't do it in himself. He's not sufficient. Therefore, he has to give glory to God. He has to not think of himself more highly than he ought to. And if we think that, that we have a right to rule our lives, then we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we ought to think so as to have sound judgment. That is, there's one who has the right to rule. And, and that's true of every person, believer or not. But certainly a believer has to recognize that we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. So I have no right to think I can rule my own life. If I, if I think that I am without sin, and I know we don't say it that way, but, but how often do we go day after day thinking we haven't sinned? Or, or encounter difficult situation or conflict or problem, and we're just convinced it's not us, it's the other people. And, and therefore, we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And we ought to think so as to have sound judgment. That is, I'm a, I am, in fact, prone to wander. And, and if I think that I can handle life on my own, then I think more highly of myself than I ought to think. And I ought to think so as to have sound judgment. 
And if I don't have that kind of humility, I'm tilting toward pride or maybe running full scale toward pride. I'm, I'm staggering, intoxicated by a kind of foolishness that thinks I'm actually able to do things only God can do. And, and it will mess up my personal life. It will mess up my relationships. It will mess up the church. It, 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 is, it is destructive to every aspect of it because pride is at the root of those things. So, so let me just, and I'd like us to look at three passages, and I guess in, in a way of sort of application, to encourage us to make sure that we manifest or reveal humility. So let me ask you to go to first, first of all to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians chapter four and verse seven. For who regards you as superior, and what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Okay, so what's the what's the element of pride here? They they have certain things and they're actually boasting about them as if they're the source of them. They're, they're not thinking properly about themselves. They're actually thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to. So, so let me turn it into a positive statement. If we're going to demonstrate humility, here's what it will mean. We gladly give God the credit He alone deserves for what we are and do. We gladly give God alone the credit for, for what He deserves. Uh, in regard to what we are or do. So let's go back to what I was talking about earlier. So, so I, I have certain gifts that God's given me. Okay? I'm, I'm, I've been equipped by God to serve Him. That's something I ought to rejoice in, but not take credit for, right? That, that I can preach or teach the Bible is the manifestation of God's grace. If, if I've been given the gift of leadership, Romans said, I'm to do it with all diligence, and because I happen to be a pastor, and therefore shepherds are called to lead, then, then I should not boast about that, but, but recognize that it's God who has given me both gifts and opportunity. So I have to give Him the credit that He deserves for what I am and what I do. If I try to take the credit to myself, then it's a manifestation of pride. If, if, I, if I give glory to God in it and point people's attention to God, then, then I'm, demonstrating, I'm demonstrating biblical humility. And, and that's why Paul, for instance, when he talked about his missionary journeys, he said, I will boast of nothing except what Christ has done through me. So, so he saw these incredible things happen, but he said it was Christ who was doing it. Okay, and he wanted to boast in Christ. That's why he says in Galatians 6, uh, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of Christ. That is, he, he's not going to claim standing, privilege, accomplishment. He's going to say, this is all rooted in the glory of God accomplished through the cross. He, he was gladly giving God the credit for, for what had been accomplished. But pride deceives us into thinking that we're the source of that. Okay, we... We become proud of our children as if we're the ones who actually have made them what they are. 
We become proud of our career accomplishments, forgetting the fact that it's God who's given us the very breath to live, the abilities to pursue what we're doing. And, And apart from him, our life would be over like that. We would crash to the ground. And so we need to give God the credit for it. We need to give God the credit for what he accomplishes in the church because it's his and not ours. We cannot boast about these things or else we're full of pride. We're not thinking about ourselves properly, but we're thinking more highly of ourselves than than we ought to. So since nothing, we have nothing that was not given to us. So the proper response to it is praise and thanksgiving to God. Okay, it's a gift. I mean, if, if I showed up at your house on Christmas morning and, and walked up to your door and, and knocked on your door and you opened the door and I handed you the keys to, a, you know, a brand new, uh, and, and I'm trying, I mean, I, it was really cool for me. It would be a nice, you know, midnight blue Mustang convertible, you know. Whew, there goes the keys. And you took those keys and said, look what I did. Look what I did. Everyone around you would go, what are you talking about? You didn't do anything. Somebody just gave you a gift. Well, you know, you stand up to teach a Sunday school class and you finish teaching it. It's, it's even more foolish to walk around going, boy, that was a good class. I really gave him some great truth today, didn't I? Or you see something that needs to be done in the church and you've got a gift for serving and, and you go about doing it and, and you get it done and get it done well because God's enabled you to do it. And then you stand back and, and think, look at the work of my hands. You take credit for something that God deserves credit for. That's the mark of pride. You're thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to and, and you're a little drunk. You've been drinking intoxicating thoughts about yourself. You need to have sober judgment. Judgment that is according to what God has done and accomplished in your life. Go please to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter 5 and... Read verses 6 and 7. Therefore, 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Now, you're probably familiar with the context of 1 Peter. It's a group of believers that are, are experiencing persecution. They're suffering for following Christ. And, and that's, that's a, a struggle. And, and, and here's what the text is saying. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. That is, that God's in control of everything that's happening around you. I mean, it's, this might be a time of fiery conflict, like chapter 4 says. But God's in control of it. And if you're fighting against it, if you're getting angry about it or anxious about it, here's what's going on in your heart. I need to stop this. This must change. And you know what you're doing? You're thinking you have godlike capabilities. You're thinking you have godlike responsibilities. That it's your job to run the world. 
that it's your job to stop every problem, to fix everything that threatens you. And, and because of it, you're either, or sometimes a combination, but you're either full of anger because things aren't going the way you want them to go and you want them to change, or you're full of anxiety because things are crashing down on you and, and you can't do anything about it, but you think it's your job to do something about it. That's why you're wrapped up with worry. And, and the text says that you're to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And if you notice the connection between verses 6 and 7, here's how you humble yourselves. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. You see, and, and this is one of, the, you know, one of the kinds of sins that sometimes we can justify, but anxiety really is an evidence of our pride. That's what this text is teaching. Instead of me putting my cares on God, I'm keeping them for myself. They're my job to do something about. And the text says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting your cares on Him. Showing Him that you recognize that He's God and you're not. That that He has the shoulders that can carry this, you don't. He has the wisdom to navigate this problem you don't. He, he knows what the outcome is and the best way to get to that outcome. You don't. So pride manifests itself when we refuse to yield to God in this regard. So let me state it again positively. Not only do we give God the credit He alone deserves, we joyfully submit to God's control over all things. We, we joyfully submit to God's control Because if we're not submitting to that control, we're not bowing the knee, casting our cares on God, then we really are saying we're in charge and we don't like the way things are going. Okay, Or or we may not be in charge, but we wish we were. And we don't like the way things are going. You know, we we want to, you remember the old bumper sticker way, way back, God is my co-pilot? We want the bumper sticker that says, I am God's co-pilot. Yeah, we want to be able to say, no, 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 Lord, you need to take a turn here. Because we think he doesn't know where he's going. And and can you think of anything more, more intoxicating than thinking that we could tell God what to do? I mean, that, that we would be stumbling down the stairs thinking, God, let me let me straighten you out. I mean, he knows all things. Past, present, future. He knows it all. And, and we need to yield to Him. We need to submit to Him. One more text. Philippians chapter 2, if you would, please. Philippians chapter 2. And verse verse 3. Start in verse 3. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. And and here's what I suggest the third demonstration or manifestation of humility. We willingly we willingly embrace our role as servants for God's glory. We, we willingly embrace our role as servants for God's glory. 
And, and, and here's the, the context. Paul's talking to them about how they ought to be living together. And he says, listen, the way, the way that you should be living is not driven by selfishness or empty conceit, but in fact, it should be controlled by humility of mind, which regards, regards one another as more important than yourselves. That is, so you look at other person, you say, well, what, what, what matters there, they're more important than me. I'm going to put them ahead of myself. And in fact, verse 4, you don't just look out for your own personal interests, but you look out for the interests of others. And then, then he transitions into the, the ultimate example of that, right? Jesus Christ. Verse, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empty himself taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That is, he did not look out for his own interest alone, but actually looked out for our interests. He didn't operate from empty conceit or selfishness. In fact, he regarded our needs as more important than his own. And, and that's the manifestation of humility. So, so we must embrace our role as servants for God's glory. You know, when, when our highest aim in life and motivation is God's glory, then self-exaltation and self-preservation will be something that we renounce. It won't be about making a name for ourselves. It won't be about protecting ourselves. It will actually be about accomplishing God's glory in, in, in helping those God has told us to help. We'll move toward people, not protect ourselves. We, we will want to see others honored, not ourselves. And, and, and here's the danger for us personally, relationally, congregationally, is that, that we sometimes can talk service, but when somebody actually treats us like a servant, we get really ticked about it. Remember here in years back in college, the test, the test of your servitude is how you respond when somebody treats you like a servant. I mean, we're, we're great. Yeah, I'm just here to serve. And then somebody, somebody sort of barks an order at us, and we, we, we immediately think, what am I, your servant? I'm here to be a slave for Jesus. And then we do it, and nobody recognizes it. And we're like, hey, didn't you see what I was doing? So how many slaves do you think on Friday got the weekly pat on the back? Hey, thanks for being our slave this week. We really appreciate you. We're going to put you in the slave hall of fame for this month. No, it was that they laid down their life and had to serve. And that's what Jesus did. He became the servant for us. And if we're going to be humble, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to, so to think is to have sober judgment, then we're going to give God the credit, we're going to give God our cares, and we're going to give God our lives. We're going to, we're going to serve. We're going to do what God wanted us to do. So let me just personalize it for us. Where, where, where are your thoughts? about yourself tonight. Do you think more highly of yourself than you ought to think? 
Or do you think so as to have sound judgment? Who, who gets the credit in your life? I mean, who, who gets the credit? I mean, when people hear you talk about the things that really excite you, and, and maybe God's done in and through your life, do they hear a testimony about God? Or do they hear a testimony about you? Do, do they hear about what you've done and, and what you've accomplished and, and how your stuff has turned out? Or, or are you talking with gratitude and thanksgiving about what God has accomplished and what God has given and God has done? How, how do you handle pressure? I mean, do, do you handle pressure by getting angry? Do you handle pressure by being full of anxiety? If you do, then you're thinking too highly of yourself. You think you've got rights and privileges that you don't have. You think you've got abilities and responsibilities that you don't have. You need to not think so highly of yourself. But but recognize yourself under the sovereign control of God. How do you respond to other people's needs? How do you respond when other people ask you to serve them? How do you respond when other people expect you to serve them? Does does it bug you? Do you get ticked off about it? Do you say, well, I'll do it this time, but don't be thinking that's the way it's going to be. I mean, is it possible that you think more highly of yourself than to be a servant of Jesus Christ? Loving His sheep, His body, caring for the people for whom He died in the way that He did? He, he washed their feet. He, he went to death for them. Can we not break a sweat? Can we not give up some time? Can, can we not take a little struggle in our lives when Jesus went to the cross? The fact is that Romans 12 started in, in, a, in a context of the body because that's where humility and pride shows up. It, it, our pride is most often exposed when we come into relationships with people. And, and here's the thought that I think we really need to grasp. You know Romans 12, right? We read verse 3. We, we zeroed in verse 3. What are verses 1 and 2 talking about? First part of verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God to do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, wholly acceptable in which is your reasonable act of worship or spiritual act of worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, now that, those are great texts, right? And what's the first thing, the first thing that Paul talks about living sacrifices? It's living with one another in the church humbly. That's the first thing that he deals with about being a living sacrifice. Stop thinking too highly about yourself 
think about yourself the way God has appointed you. We're, we're a body that has diversity and unity according to God's design. So find the place God has given you and, and live for Him right there. That's the first thing He tackles. You and I, the first thing we would tackle would be all those sins those other people are committing. Maybe we'd be saying... So you're a living sacrifice, so don't do this, and don't do that, and don't watch this, don't listen to that, don't go there. But here's the first thing God says. Don't be drunk with high opinions of yourself. Think about yourself the right way as a recipient of God's grace so that you can serve in the assembly of God's people in a way that magnifies the glory and grace of God. So, so let's not stagger around the church. Let's not stagger in our homes. Let's not stagger in the workplace. Let's not stagger in our community. Let's, let's walk in a balanced, even way, recognizing the glory of God and His grace in our lives for the purpose of serving Him and, and giving Him honor. Let me ask you to bow together with me in prayer, please. Father, thank you that you have uh, acted so graciously toward us that when we were sinners in rebellion against you, you moved to send your Son, and and he willingly laid down his life so that we might have uh, salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, and eternal life. And And we thank you that when you opened our eyes to the truth of the gospel, your Spirit uh, not only opened those eyes, but, but came to dwell in us and bringing with him uh, great opportunities to serve and for us to grow and be changed. And, and we thank you for this. This is the work of your grace, and we want to praise your name. Yet, Lord, we're so often proud of our own accomplishments or abilities. We're, we're often kicking against the pressure that we feel in the sin-cursed world. And, and often resentful of others and, and looking out for our own interests and not the interests of other people. So help us to see the dangerous pathway that pride takes us on and the consequences that come if we don't think properly about ourselves, but rather in, uh, get, give in to the intoxicating foolishness of pride. And I pray for this congregation that you might give them real unity of heart, that as they, each having their own gifts and abilities, serve you, that they will recognize that, that, that Christ is the head of the church and the one whom we must serve, and, and that you'll bless and use them, and, and that their relationships will be strong, and the church will be healthy, and that you'll cause your grace to abound here. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.